Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Uh, And tonight, the end is nigh as uh, the only just-last-week-revealed plot device of harmonic convergence counts down to doomsday, uh, and Korra has to figure out a way to stop it. Uh, Tonight we're talking about chapters 209 through 211, The Guide, A New Spiritual Age, and Night of a Thousand Stars. But uh, before we get to that, before we get to the good stuff, Arlo, you had some shit you wanted to talk about something. I had some shit I wanted to talk about something. No, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, well, look. This is this is a, a a podcast about a kids' cartoon show. <laughs> so as long as you keep it in that realm, I think it's totally valid to talk about it. Well, <laughs> let's talk about Batman the Killing Joke then. That is has always been kid friendly material. It's a cartoon. And, oh, it's, it's a Batman it's, with Cat with Kevin Conroy. I remember that show. That was great. That was really kid friendly. Let's do this. It's it's a, it's a Batman cartoon. Kids are gonna love it. Uh, it's so it's the Batman cartoon where uh, the Joker paralyzes Barbara Gordon by shooting her in the spine. Uh, but but everyone knows that that goes back to the Alan Moore comic book that spawned this thing. Uh, I, I think so, so. So that's problematic on its own. Like I, I think the Killing Joke, and I think we all agree on this. The Killing Joke has some great stuff in it, and also some, in hindsight, really regrettable stuff. Um, but I do maintain it's. I mean, it's an iconic Batman story for a reason. But that's a whole separate issue. The reason I want to talk about the Killing Joke tonight is because one, this is a show. Uh, this is a podcast where we talk about a great animated series um, <laughs> that knows how to treat. Uh, female characters. Uh, so, Batman the Killing Joke, I have not seen it. I probably won't see it. Uh, does not appear to be a particularly good animated film uh, that does not treat uh, its its lone female character, I'm assuming, uh, well. But, but wait, Arlo, I'm confused, because this is like the original creative team back. Uh, Bruce Timm came back. Uh, and and he even he specifically said that they were going to address the sort of Barbara Gordon controversy from the source material by by giving her additional material like these they, they were going to beef up the role of Barbara Gordon in the film version so that uh, it would be you know a little more contemporary and perhaps a little more girl power is that are you saying Paul, that's not what happened Paul my friend the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh. Um, they have indeed expanded Barbara Gordon's role. Um, I don't know if it's more a uh, girl power though, uh, considering it's uh, her role has gone from uh, object that gets injured to spur Batman into action from object that gets injured to spur Batman into action, who he also fucks. <laughs> that's by giving Barbara Gordon a greater role in the story. They apparently meant um, she was going to get into an awkward rooftop fight with him uh, before pushing him down on the ground, kissing him. And as he holds her hips and she thrusts, taking her mask off and tearing her shirt off and the, the camera then pans up to a gargoyle leering at the couple. So both hands on the bat pole, Batgirl. Oh, man. wow. Wow. 
See, Arlo, you asked for this this conversation by bringing this, this shit up. I they forced me to watch this scene, um, <laughs> which 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 I'm glad we're talking about because we're about to get into a show um, animated primarily by um, Studio Mir. Uh, And it is interesting to compare the animation of Studio (laughs) Mir against this Flash animation movie. Uh, Right? That's what I told Paul earlier. This looks like uh, the least sexy circa 2002 Flash animation I've ever seen. It it, it looks like, I mean, um, how it should have ended is a better animated than this. That (laughs) Batman is a better animated Batman than the Batman we get here. It also has Kevin Conroy putting in a performance that seems to be screaming out, kill me. Yeah, it does. It does. It's so sad because Kevin Conroy, who is the definitive Batman, uh, has come back and his voice performance does not seem to be good. And, and I have to imagine that at the point where he read Batman puts his hand on Barbara Gordon's butt, he probably gave up on life, but had already signed the contract. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, this is someone who had done voice, you know, he voiced characters with, you know, with Barbara was a big part of the Batman, you know, animated series. And I have to imagine that Kevin Conroy also is like somewhat protective of this character that he voiced for something like 30,000 years. And <laughs> and I just I mean, like, ah, what? I don't even know what to say. I, I mean, it's like it's not even the thing that I don't understand about it is I don't understand why. Like, what made them think that was the right decision? I mean, even if it wasn't, like, gross, and it is, like, the scene is pretty gross as, as built. It's just, like, so awkward and terrible. But I don't even understand how you get to the point where you're like, well, what we need to do is make Batman and Barbara Gordon have been having sex. Because that's what was missing from this this story. And I, I don't get it. I'm, I'm highly confused. I I am less confused by Unalak than I am. <laughs> now, to be fair, I'm not saying watching the film is going to make any of that better. Hopefully though, there, there would be some context that at least it would make sense why, uh, they start bat boning. Uh, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not, I, I can, I just cannot imagine, especially someone like Bruce Tim, like Brian Azzarello wrote it, Brian Azzarello, the acclaimed comics writer. Um, but I can't imagine like Bruce Tim, you know, people who were involved in the making of Batman the Animated Series, one of the all-time great uh, comic book adaptations, sitting down and thinking, the way to make this more of a Barbara Gordon-centric story is to have her fuck Batman. Like, how is that a thought? Now, now from my understanding, it's been a long time since I've seen Batman Beyond. Uh, it was established in that series that Bruce and Barbara had had a past relationship. Yeah, uh, a, so pa- a, a failed relationship and one one that one that seemed to be indicated that happened after the series more or less right right Right. yeah yeah so i i don't know if this is maybe just a bruce tim thing that he really wants to explore that but it should some things should not be explored yeah i mean the difficulty with this in the i i had forgotten about that batman beyond detail i loved batman beyond but i i that had completely slipped my mind when someone pointed that out to me, I was like, Oh shit, that's right. But I think it seemed less problematic there because a, the relationship was fa- had already happened. We didn't see it on screen. And at that point they were both into like old, like they were clearly both adults at that point when you're hearing about the story. So here we're watching them and you know, 99% of the time the Batman Batgirl relationship tends to play more like a father daughter 
relationship and there's clearly an age difference between the two of them and so i don't know just seeing her you know become another part of his utility belt is awkward let's let's remember that um that it's actually not Bruce Tim who we I think we should be giving most of the credit for the animated series to anyways. It's Paul Dini. Paul Dini, yeah. And this is, as I understand, not including Paul Dini in the screenwriting. So that that may have something to do with it. I've never really known what Burnett and uh, Tim's exact role on the series was as writing, but like pretty much every great moment of Batman and Batman Beyond, you can kind of see Paul Dini's fingerprints yeah. on it. Yeah. So yeah, I, it, I, you want actually to be honest. Um, and I'm glad that no one decided to send me this scene, but apparently they also decided to make a, add in a detail that the Joker, whenever he breaks out of Arkham goes and sleeps with a lot of prostitutes. <laughs> what that's in the film. Oh yeah. They, I, they, yeah, um, I just, I found an article entitled Bruce, Tim weighs in on implications of killing jokes, sexualized Joker. <sighs> So obviously Tim was like, "There's just not enough sex in my Batman." Yeah. And decided hmm. to get going with it. So, I that's about all I can take of the Killing Joke. Arlo, did you did you get to say what you wanted to say on this? And the answer only answer correct is yes. <laughs> added added lines of dialogue not only establish the Joker's sexuality, but also imply that he raped Barbara Gordon after attacking her. The, I, I mean, Moore I think had always intended that to be the implication. In the finished product, I mean, all we see are uh, he he takes some snapshots of her, and he's clearly like undressing her as he's taking pictures, with which to torture uh, Barbara's father. But uh, I'm pretty sure I had read that the the implication more intended was that he had molested her at the same time. Alan Moore's a real peach, right? Mm. He's 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 Again, a funny the, guy. The Killing Joke has great things in it. But it, it it does, yeah. But the 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 end of, the ending of the Killing Joke is the all time greatest ending to any Batman story. It's pretty fantastic. It is a really fantastic ending. The not just the the no, well noted does he kill him thing, but actually the Joker's joke uh-huh. is actually really perfect. It's perfect. Like that is an absolutely perfect moment overall. Yeah. And I just have to imagine that 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 movie or that story started from that point is has always been my impression that Alan Moore had that as an idea and worked backwards to make that happen. I, I wonder what it'll be like to see or to hear Kevin Conroy do the crazy bat laugh at the end. Does, does Hamill do Joker in this? Yep. He does. He so does. I kind of want to watch it and I have to close my eyes so I don't see the animation, but <laughs> hear Mark Hamill do that joke is actually the only reason I want to see this now. All right. Yeah. Uh, Let's let's get into a better uh, female-centric animated series. Yeah, let's Uh, talk. Let's talk. All right. So Arlo, uh, as the newbie, you're going to start us off. Tell us uh, your thoughts on um, Chapter 209, The Guide. Actually, before you tell us your thoughts, I would really like it if you could just recap everything. Recap everything that has happened so far? Yeah. Why? Why would you make me do that? Cora did it. Oh well, but I'm no Cora. <laughs> well, this, How about, okay. What if you did it in the voice of the announcer? Could you do that? <laughs> I no, that would just be sad. <sighs> all right, um, never mind. Just tell us your thoughts. I was setting. Wait, you wait, up. wait. Before we actually get into this, let us all take a moment and have a moment of silence for the passing in this episode 
of Studio Piro. Oh, are they gone? Oh. Are they gone for good? This is it. This is the end. I I know they're out for this season, but like, do they never come back? Um, never. No, I'm come pretty back. sure it's Studio it's Mirror. For the it's rest. Mirror. This is oh. it. This is the end of Studio Piro. It's Mirror the rest of the way, y'all. Wow. All right. I wanted to get this started off on the right note. Let's do it. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so, okay. So the first episode we're talking about is The Guide. Um, it did not occur to me that, uh, I mean, this is obvious, but that Tenzin and his family would know nothing about what's been going on. Of course they wouldn't. They've been, quote unquote, on vacation. They're, they're, um, they've been dis- they're off the grid. Yeah, they've been disconnected from civilization and all of that. So when Korra finally, you know, reunites with Tenzin and tells him about everything, you know, she does, she does get that great moment where she has to, you know, describe everything to him all at once. Um, and yeah, uh, and then I love I love Tenzin's reaction though. Like there's a beat and he goes, "I knew this would happen." <laughs> it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, and I really loved. Um, the reunification, the the reunion. I don't mm-hmm. know why I said reunification. Reunion's a more common word. Uh, of of Cora and Tenzin, that was so great for her to you know realize that you know she she apologizes to him and realizes that she, he had only ever been trying to help her and that he shouldn't she shouldn't have left him to to be taught by Unalak of all people. That was just a really great moment. It was very touching. Until until next season when she, you know, has another teenage moment and dumps him again. Well, I don't know if that happens. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I'm just I'm being snarky about Cora. I'm sorry. I want to just be really clear that we're not getting a spoiler right now because our, <laughs> because Paul can't actually remember what happens in the rest of the series. He's admitted exactly. this multiple times. It was, so it was not actually a spoiler. <laughs> um, and the thing I really loved about this episode is that – so we've talked before about how so far the strongest uh, through line of this season had been the family story uh, about Tenzin and his uh, – Tenzin and Bumi and Kaya and their family and finding out more about what Aang was like as a father, seeing how Tenzin is as a father. And this played really, really well. Uh, into that story, into, into that through line, uh, because we find out here. So, so Korra goes to Tenzin, needing to enter the spirit world, and hoping that he'll be able to help her. And then there's the revelation that Tenzin himself has never entered the spirit world, which was always Aang's dream for him. Um, and Boomy has a line about "Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we discover that Janora, and we had we've seen a few things throughout the season that that point at at Janora, you know, noticing things or you know being a little different than the others. And we find out here that Janora has a connection with the spirit, just a natural connection to the spirits for whatever reason that passed down to her. And Tenzin then has to accept that and accept the fact that because at first he just dismisses her out of hand, you know, her and her imaginary friends. Uh, the the dragonfly bunny spirits, but he has to accept the fact that he is not going to be the one to, you know, shepherd the avatar into the spirit world. It's going to be his young daughter. That that is such a great bit of this whole storyline that, you know, you expect the storyline to be that Tenzin is going to break through 
that he's going to break through and he's going to get his chance at the Avatar. And as, as triumphant as it is that Janora is the damn spirit master, basically, that it's so awesome. But there's such a sadness that Tenzin is going to get to do what he thought he could do, that yeah. he just isn't isn't capable of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, there's a lot of that that's kind of played for laughs, the the mounting frustration, the you know the multiple methods he uses to try and get into the proper headspace or whatever the milo gonging the bell and then the incense and all that stuff um it, it's his frustration is played for laughs but it really is sad it's it's really kind of painful to watch him have to come to terms with the fact that he, he's just not the one that's going to be able to do this it it yeah. helps that this is yet another time where it helps that um simmons's voice acting mm-hmm. is just so good i i'm continually surprised by him because I, I i know i know his persona and voice so well and i constantly forget that it's him doing this this character like for whatever reason it's not like he's putting on a weird voice or anything but he's just so in character that it never reads to me as like him you know what i mean in a way that i often get in live action he's just so amazing and and is so good at playing hurt while not giving still not still not like taking the mask off entirely of his control that he's learned to build up it's a brilliant voice performance maybe maybe the best in the whole series like either series honestly and i'm just i'm just constantly impressed that an actor of his caliber in his standing is giving a genuinely great performance on a kid show on nickelodeon yeah i mean like, like that, a really, really nuanced impressive. and long-term performance not coming mm-hmm. in as a guest star but right. yeah. like I'm going to come on and do voices every episode for this character and give it my all. I imagine he thumbed his nose at Lance Henriksen every time that Henriksen uh, got to be in the booth recording his, what, maybe 10 minutes total of dialogue time. For an unnamed (laughs) character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lance Henriksen came in and played like Soldier 3, basically. (laughs) That's Pretty much. Yeah. You know, if Uh, I think about it, it's crazy. Uh... J.K. Simmons has been has been there for me at every stage of my life. When I was uh, 12 years old, he was J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man movies. Uh, when I was in high school, I discovered Oz, and he was Vern Schillinger. And and now, uh, as an adult, uh, he is uh, Tenzin on The Legend of Korra. I, I was going to say... He's been with me my whole life. I, Kudos to you for your first experience of him being J. John Jameson. He was. <laughs> my, it was. My first was Vern Schillinger on Oz. So, I uh, see. I can imagine. See, so I went from J. Jonah Jameson to Vern Schillinger and was shocked at the uh, at the difference there. I can only imagine having to experience that role reversal. Mm. Like that's that's nuts. You, you know, one one since we're talking about voice acting, and I feel like we haven't actually got really properly called this out but um richard real mm-hmm. is really good as boomy yes like oh, also putting in a great voice performance mr jump to conclusion matt really comes through on on this character um i'm i'm just super impressed by by his voice and he's someone else who like i recognize him all the time and i didn't really realize it was him first time through watching this he's Excellent. phenomenal i i you know we, we've mentioned before Boomy 2.0 is so much better than the original Boomy. Um, yeah, he, he's he's fantastic. And Boom Jew is the best yet. Boom, Boom Jew. Jew, yeah. <laughs> Which almost sounds like a slur. It does. it does. Wow. I think Trump's getting to both of you. I can't. 
<laughs> is it wait isn't that trump's campaign slogan oh god <laughs> oh man so so the uh all of the uh cora tenzin Janora stuff all of that's great uh and we also have on uh, this episode uh mako first he rekindles his romance yeah what's up what the hell <laughs> I mean, Cora's out of town. I mean, isn't that what you do when your girlfriend you're on the rocks? Oh, you know, he bro- they broke up. They oh, he broke, broke up. up with her. He's allowed. He's allowed to do this. It's just a bad idea. That's all. Yes. It's, it's not. It's not a scummy thing. It's just. It's just a bad idea. It is a bad idea. No, um, no. Asami. Asami is clearly like not in a great place right now, and has been cut loose from pretty much everyone, and has some lingering connection with Mako. And it's not even like he's trying to use it. He just sort of can't say no. And yeah, no, it's like, she, oh, wow, someone's told me she's here, and I guess I'm lonely, so sure. I mean, she, right. she's pushing this. Like, uh, last episode, or, or I don't know, in a recent episode. It wouldn't have been last episode. That was beginnings. But anyways, in a recent episode, you know, she, remember, she kissed him. And then they were yes. like, oh, ooh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to do that, whatever. And here she's the one that like goes up to him and puts her hand on his chest and everything. So this is this is coming from her. But yeah, he's not he's not fighting it. So he's not being smart about it because he clearly from this and other episodes is not really in a place to wanting to be in a relationship with either of them or anyone yeah. right now. Like there is no interest. He is just completely unable to not to like say no to someone who's who's like. I would like to be near you right now. And he's just like, well, all right. Okay. Before Mako can be in a relationship with one of them, he needs to fix the relationship he's in with himself. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that is very astute. Thank you. Doc- Thank you, Dr. Phil. <laughs> um, Anytime. I, Eric, you already referenced the fact that I can't remember a damn thing about the series going forward. But uh, yeah, I, I had legitimately forgot that there was going to be uh, – this whole backpedaling on their relationship again. I, I, so when this happened, when I was rewatching and that happened, I was like, Oh, son of a bitch. We're not done yet. Yeah. I'd forgotten this still went on a little longer too. I, I, I thought we were done with it. it. It's, and again, it, you know, it goes back to what we were talking in season one. It's not, it doesn't overpower things to the point where it's horrible, but it is not exactly, um, a, a bonus yeah. to the series. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to guess when we're going to be done with it now because I honestly don't know. The season four finale. <laughs> no, it will, it will not go into – I am 100 percent certain it does not go into season four. I am 100 percent certain. I just don't know how much further from now between now and then it goes. Got it. Uh, so in addition to that, Mako also gets himself arrested. Oh, yeah, that happened. Wow, yeah, he, he get played by Varric. He comes too close to the truth, by which I mean he finds out the truth and gets framed. He just is not very good at how to entrap a far more powerful opponent. He just blurts it out and gets himself caught. Well, to be fair, in his defense, I would say that uh, that Lin Beifong is. I don't. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent down with her character, uh, the way she's treated in this season. The way she's shown, the way she behaves. Oh, Beifong, no, I'm, I'm, I was gonna hold off on getting into that too much until the third episode of this week. Yeah. But I am, I am behind you in that. That the writing on Beifong this year is is a lot more disappointing than I remember. Yeah, I mean, she, she's just, uh, 
Yeah. She's led around much too easily in this season. But Yeah, I guess I hadn't really stopped to think about it, but yeah, that 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 is somewhat out of character for her. Um but it's nice to see that uh, Varric still gets to be funny, even now, even though we we now see that he's a quote unquote villain. He's not really a villain, but you know, it's just it's that the old wacky children's cartoon trope of war profiteering. I mean, that happens a lot <laughs> in children's <laughs> cartoons, right? When so. when we get to the third episode, there, I really I want to talk about why I love Varric. And especially why I love this quote-unquote heel turn. Okay. Uh, but I want to wait until the third episode. But suffice it to say, I adore Varric. <laughs> okay, good. He may, he may be my favorite character. <laughs> I, love, I love his line in this when he's like, the only thing I want to torture is this foot fungus. Ah, the burning lets you know it's working. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's fantastic. He really is great. Uh, it's like... Most times I would be like, damn it, why are they making him a bad guy? Because I like him so much, but he's amazing as a bad guy, too. So it doesn't matter. And John Michael Higgins, so good. Yep. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm blurring a little bit on this episode and the next episode, but this is pretty – the next episode's all of the, the Unalak side of the story. This episode is entirely the really important part of the story, right? Um, we do get some Unalak. In particular, we get him, like, uh, Eska and Desna, uh, or uh, Desna gets injured mm-hmm. uh, while Unalak's doing spirit portal things. And he can't and, be bothered to care. Mm-hmm, Unalak thinks the, the spirit portal stuff is more important than saving Desna. Yes, but, but, there's a very, there's a, oh yeah, that's right, that is what happens. It's like all the cool spirit stuff is in the next episode. This is pretty much yeah. just getting into the spirit. So this is all... This, that's why I'm not okay. The next two episodes I remember really clearly. I was like, wait, did some of the stuff from the next two episodes happen in this one? But this one actually was pretty thin, other than the t- the um, Tenzin stuff, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I uh, was like back, I was back pulling some of the stuff from a new spiritual agent to this one, just because I was convinced that I must have been must have been forgetting that some of that stuff happened in this episode. But no, this episode actually didn't have a lot going on. Not not really. Um, I do want to give okay since this is the swan song for uh, Studio. Perot, or however you say it, I do want to give him a couple of props. Um, well, maybe just one. <laughs> the uh, the animation for the scene when Tenzin is performing the spiritual cleansing ceremony at the Circle of Stones or whatever, um, I, I, some of their best work, I think, perhaps. Uh, I feel like the the both the character animation and the effects animation that were going on in that scene were, were pretty smooth with him uh, doing the flowing Tai Chi movements and the incense smoke swirling around him and everything. I, I remember being struck by that scene and thinking, good job, bro. <laughs> good job. <laughs> they're not bad. No, they're not they're terrible. Just, no. They're just not as good as Studio Mirror. They're, they're not Batman the killing joke level is what I'm trying to say. Now let's go research and find out that that's who's doing Batman the Killing Joke. <laughs> no. Um, one other thing I did want to mention about this episode, just a small offhand detail. Um, Cora, Tenzin, and the gang uh, go to the same garden where Aang met Guru Patik. Right. Uh, which I thought was a really nice callback. I agree. The Eastern Air Temple. 
And there are some really great callbacks in the next episode. Uh, Wait, one of the other things at the Eastern Air Temple that uh, occurs to me as I'm about to say it, it might not have been Aang, it might have just been a generic airbender, but it looked like one of the locations they went to uh, to try Tenzin's meditation uh, had a giant Aang head carved into the cliff face. Did you guys notice that? It was it was an actual face on the cliff face. Yes. Uh, but no, I think that was just supposed to be a, a, an air, like a gen- generic air nomad. Bummer. I was excited. Yeah. I thought it was Aang. Hey, I'm pretty sure it was probably some famous air nomad who no one remembers because they all got killed off. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That was very disrespectful of me. I apologize. You don't, <laughs> I, you don't get killed off if you're important, Eric. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Um, <laughs> all right, we should probably go on to the next episode because that's where all the fun is. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Arlo. Oh, wait, one last comment. Okay. Moonlock sucks. All right, let's go on. <laughs> yeah. Well, at the at the end of this episode, we get the reveal. The as if there was any doubt, we get the reveal that Unalak genuinely is a bad guy. He's, yes. He's and, actually and working. He's, and he's kind of bad at it too. <laughs> Yes. Now, in in these upcoming episodes, I could make an argument that he becomes slightly less boring as a villain, uh, particularly yes. in this next episode. He does something that makes him a little more interesting in terms yeah. of villainy. I get the yes. He I think I get the feeling that finally his his dark master is pulling his strings enough to give him <laughs> like a personality and, and an ability to pull something off. Right. Um, all right. So. Let's get into the next chapter, uh, chapter 210, A New Spiritual Age. Arlo, why don't you tell us what you thought of Through the Looking Glass and what Korra found there, or The Avatar's Adventures in Wonderland? I'm, I'm, I'm so glad uh, you made that obvious comparison, because <laughs> it, it took me until uh, she was sitting around at a tea party yes. to be like, oh, wait a second, I think I know what they're doing here. <laughs> I'm a moron. Um <laughs> But I, to me, this episode and the one following, this is where the season finally clicks into place. I agree. This, yeah. You know, we, we can discuss the weird structure of the season and some of the, the, the messiness and some of the more disappointing things, and we have. But these two episodes, the series or the season finally comes into its own, and everything that's been building toward this pays off. Um, I really loved uh, this episode. I loved the spirit world stuff. Uh, obviously, when we talked about beginnings uh, last time, we talked about the heavy Miyazaki influence. Mm-hmm. And Avatar has always been influenced by Miyazaki. But I feel like, especially in, in something like Beginnings, and again here, in, and this is, I think, almost the entire episode, if not the entire episode, takes place in the spirit world. You also get a huge Miyazaki influence. And for being on a, a, a TV budget, they do a phenomenal job. I'm I'm so glad Studio Mir is back for this. There's some great visuals. I mean the the like ferret things that she annoys and that sucker and Denora into the ground are just great. Notice it doesn't take Cora long at all before she's pissing off some spirits. Oh, irritates them right out of the gate. Tries to bend at them because she's annoyed. <laughs> yep. And what I love is that uh, you know her energy is is upsetting the spirits, and so she is she has to learn how to be calm, which is not her strong suit. We've we've known that since the first episode of the show, and especially you know this season. I know Paul, you had previously mentioned some issues you were having with the character of Cora. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I don't want to bring your MRA activities to light again. I apologize. Um, we agreed, but to, we agreed uh, to bury that. But, uh, you know, in light of, you know, how she, you know, some of the stuff she's done this season, 
she her having to stay calm spells big trouble and i i love that she has to just learn to find you know not just the light in the spirit world or the light in the material world but the light within herself and i i yeah i thought yeah, that we, was great in the in the fact that she does it with iroh yes yes i was gonna say the, the uh the fantastic return of one of our favorite characters um also gives us one of the great sort of meta comments on Korra as a character, the whole uh, emotions become reality thing. Um, we, we get, we get two of the best characters in avatar. We get Iroh and we get angry child Korra. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the avatar. You have to deal with it. Korra is back and gets to have all the interactions with Iroh in this. It's and, and, was, and it's beautiful. That was so great. It's so beautiful. And I love the way Iroh puts it. So obviously Iroh being the spirit world means he has passed on. But he says, um, when my work was done in the material world, I chose to leave my body behind and come here to the spirit world. So it's, it's as if, you know, he himself realized he was done. And so he made the conscious choice to exit his physical body and come live in the spirit world. And I think that's such a beautiful idea. It's so it is. It's I mean like not and you know obviously like I, Iroh coming back makes me makes me wistful about Mako, of um, and and I think that once again the series manages to pay tribute to one of Mako's two best uh, characters in in um, Western cinema and has never really forgotten. I think and I think that there's a the the the, the beauty of like how they dealt with Iroh like I I can't help having the meta thoughts too. I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Um, but it is, it's really, it's, it's a really beautiful bit. I love, I, I love that, that, uh, that going to the spirit world, Iroh's life has not changed a bit. <laughs> He's gone to the spirit world to drink tea and eat cakes, except just with spirits now. Yeah. And otherwise that's what he's doing. He's basically has the Mad Hatter's tea party, except that everyone is super chill and he, and just hanging out with them. Yeah. It's, it's uh, my notes were there's a tea party, but Iroh's not really a Mad Hatter. <laughs> No, no. And he uses the teapot that Juan used to keep the little sliver of Rava in. How, how, uh, how excited do you think Iroh was when he found that or after he spent eons looking for it? I'm not sure which. I could see him looking for that teapot specifically because he want to make tea in it. But um, I, I just I love that, like, of all people to get that teapot, of course it's Iroh. Of course Iroh has that teapot. And he's just making tea out of it. It's not, a, it's not like it's not in a shrine somewhere. <laughs> he's. He's just using it to make tea. And he says, when you make tea with it, you can still taste a little light in every cup. Oh, man. Oh, God. I love you, Iroh. <laughs> so, oh, so Arlo, do you, are you feeling okay? I know that you've been concerned about the various characters and when we would come across them and what the state of them would be. Are you, are you happy with our, with our introduction to Iroh and where Iroh went then? Are you glad? I am very happy here with the reappearance of Iroh. It is completely perfect. I think the only character whose fate remains unknown to me is Zuko. Yeah. Uh, Do we know? Wait, I, I don't, I don't think we've gotten, um, uh, Toffs either. Have we? Oh no, we haven't gotten Toph either. No, yeah, we, 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 don't know where, we don't know where Toph is and we don't right. know what, what's up with Zuko. Although we have actually had more information on Zuko. We actually have more on Zuko than we have on Toph. True. That's true. Because, true. because, um, because Iroh, General Iroh, not this Iroh or Admiral Iroh or whatever, told Korra that his father and mother would be happy to help him because he was always friends with the Avatar. So yeah. 
So we do know a little bit about Zuko, but Toph, I think we are completely, I almost said in the dark. I am so sorry. That, that almost came to <laughs> my mouth. Um, <laughs> but anyways, we don't know anything yet as far as I know. Uh, well, Arlo, we got, uh, in addition to Iroh, we got the return of another of your favorite characters, of our favorite characters from Avatar The Last Airbender. It's the Dick Owl. Yes, the Dick Owl spirit. <laughs> Oh, what a well, dick. Well, oh, man, Wan Chitong is such a dick. You're right. He's an asshole. I, I actually I actually quite like the way that uh, they've used that character. Um, I don't know if it was intentional in the first place, but I feel at this point uh, it has to be intentional, that he is there to demonstrate the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm, yeah, well, so, you're smart, Paul. Eh, I read a lot of spirit books. Which is uh, which is ironic, given that they've done this to an owl who right. and uh, he is he is lacking in wisdom, but has lots of knowledge. Right. He's um, basically the owl from the Tootsie Pops commercial. <laughs> <laughs> just, just bites down on the fucking Tootsie Pops. Uh, we also and got, I got I got suckered in by him too. I'll be honest, like I've seen this before, I've forgotten, and I was again sucked. like, oh, he's a little better now. Jonora's got him. He, he can't hate Jonora. <laughs> God damn it. Nope he's 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 in bed with Unalak. Probably literally. Not well. I was about to say not in the literal uh, Bruce Wayne, Barbara Gordon uh, well, sense. But you never know. Oh, Unalak, sure Unalak had to bring some knowledge here in order to get into the library. And they call, bet, they call him the Dick Al for a reason. And I bet there's some 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 pretty kicking gargoyles to do that under. In that oh, <laughs> true. God. Uh, I also like that we get to see Professor Zay's corpse. That's right, his desiccated corpse. <laughs> that was, that I, was a bit grim. I missed that. I missed that. I I love that uh, uh, Korra has really so Avatar could never really show death, and Korra has gone there multiple times this season alone. Yep, <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Everyone's then, dead. Everyone's dying. Here's a skeleton. And and the thing is, like, so Wan Shitong being a dick and and being partnered with Unalak, that was a bit of a like I knew he was going to be a dick, but the fact that he was partnered with Unalak did surprise me. And then the the worst part is. Fucking furry foot's an asshole too. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's a spirit, and he gets he gets corrupted. He gets turned dark by the emotions of the people around him, which in this case happens to be Unalak. That's true. You're right. right. But, yeah, they uh, can't help when they go dark. They can't. They yeah. it is. They are. They are well, sensitive to it. You're right. That just really upset me. I went dark when I saw that. Oh. Well, maybe he'll come back. The. There's there's two big things we learn in this episode. Uh, one is like a long-standing theory or question that we figured was the case, but we get confirmation. And the other, I think, makes a little more sense of the harmonic convergence not being a thought of before. Um, one is that we get final confirmation that, yes, the reason Aang couldn't bend in the spirit world is because he wasn't there physically. Right. And that's why Unalak can, because he taunts Korra about it mm -hmm. in this. And um, the other is that the reason no one has cared about harmonic convergence until now is because with the spirit portals closed, harmonic convergence meant squat. Right. For getting Fuatatu out. So this has happened before, probably a couple of times, but it didn't matter because without the spirit portals open, it didn't actually help Fatu. So it's not every harmonic convergence has a chance of him getting out. Those spirit portals being closed since the time of Juan meant harmonic convergence probably meant some increased spirit activity, but nothing much more. Except I think in beginnings they said that uh, harmonic convergence harmonic convergence happens every 10,000 years. 
Did they say every ten thousand years? I, th- I thought yeah, they I did. So. I thought they did. Okay. But but in any case, yeah, it, uh, you're right. Though if both spirit portals weren't open, it, it it wouldn't mean anything. Which is why Unalak has been so desperate to get them open. Yes. Because if yes. the convergence happens and they're not open, then it just won't do anything. So. Hey, hey and also we one thing we didn't call out about Unalak's stupidity was that. We've made fun of Korra for this, but what is Unalak's plan to open the spirit portals <laughs> yes. to, to bend at it? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, was, we already saw Korra try that and fail, dude. It was it was pretty pathetic. Um, but unfortunately, we do get uh, this is why Unalak is not a compelling bad guy to me. But we get the hoary old chestnut of capture someone's friend to make them do the thing that they wouldn't do otherwise, which means right. that that. I almost wish his stupid bending tactic would have worked for opening the portal because that would have been a little more interesting than Korra being forced into it. Um, I, it's just a boring plot, but it's he, it's Unalak, so he's boring. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting that you put it that way because that was the thing I was going to hold up as as perhaps making Unalak feel slightly less boring as a villain is that he actually does something truly sinister. But you're right. It is a cliche what he does. Yeah, for him, it is it is massively interesting for him. You're right. It is it is a giant step up for Unlock. Absolutely. Um, it it is interesting in the sense that uh, it's this really cool like spirit pacification thing or whatever that he's always done. Only now he's doing it like in reverse to to like a good person's spirit. Yeah, and he tries to go all Agent Smith on <laughs> Cora at the end of it too. Yeah, with it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I can't believe I made that comparison. Even, even Agent Smith's voice is more interesting. Than, <laughs> I don't know why. Um, but this is a good episode. And actually I do, I like that, that, um, of course, Iroh's, um, way of helping Korra ultimately ends up saving her because the Phoenix yeah. saves her yeah. at the end. So thank which, you, Iroh. Which, uh, this only occurred to me on this viewing, but so her child Korra's mission was to take the dragon bird chick back up to the nest right and she puts it back in the nest and uh there's three others so there are four dragon birds and then they all merge together to become this big phoenix bird or phoenix dragon thing um kind of a little symbolism there for the avatar who wields all four elements oh, very nice i didn't miss that i didn't think about that i, I paul you're smart I, I don't i'm making it up i don't know if that was intended but i didn't think about that as owls go, you should definitely be the one running the library and not Wanchi Tom. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, and the giant phoenix dragon bird thing gets to tail slap the snot out of Unalak at the end. Oh man, the dragon bird like drop kicking Unalak <laughs> is the best thing that has ever happened. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was beautiful. That was pretty great. This is a really good episode, actually. Like, I oh, it was. It's really easy to focus on the really big things, but I feel like this was, this is a re- like you said, the, the thing started snapping into place. We actually got a little bit of Vatu, mm-hmm. yeah. In this, so we finally have like our reveal of our big bad, and it's not in lock. It's Vatu, so um, we finally so get over there. Returned Rava. Yeah. Um, and Cora has a whole line like when they're unveiling their master plan. She's like, "This isn't balance." It's madness, which made me think of Sparta. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, a couple things I just want to call out. I mean, we've already talked about the, the Alice in Wonderland stuff, but um, when 
Korra is sort of wandering through the dark woods or whatever, we see some some spirits floating above her that, if you squint, you could imagine kind of looks sort of like the Jabberwocky. Um, and then, of course, immediately after that, she sees a, a big spirit caterpillar. So that had to be intentional. Um, and then you could also make a parallel between her like reverting to a child Korra uh, being similar to when Alice like drinks that potion and shrinks down. It's very true. So, and did anybody else notice possibly the most disturbing spirit they've ever? Well, I don't know. Co the face dealer still might hold might take the prize, yeah. but one of the most disturbing spirits they've ever created. You only see it very briefly uh, behind Cora as she's walking through that forest. It's a little spider hand thing. Did anybody else oh, see I that? that? No, I didn't see that. It's crawling no. up a tree. It's a hand uh, that that is walking like a spider, and it's got this really horrific face with a big gaping maw on its on like the back of the hand. It's oh god, it's is it the, it's that that's not the thing with like the the because I had a note or I made a note of like the spider bull thing with the flaming mouth. Mm-mm, no, that's not. No, it's it, not it, that was, thing. Okay. it was a little thing. It was just crawling up a tree as as Cora okay. walked past it. But yeah, no, wow, I did not notice that. Anyways. By the way, I just want to point out, just so everyone knows how stupid I am, um, <clears throat> when you mentioned that, that something looked like the Jabberwocky, I was like, there was nothing in this episode that looked like Jabberjaw. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not a smart man. I, 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 I have, I may be unintelligent and uncultured, but I actually have read Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, so, and wow. I still got all of this wrong. <laughs> wow, look at you. Um Oh, one last thing I wanted to mention. Uh, the That big, like, alligator thing, which I think uh, I think the creators actually refer to that as a cat gator. It didn't look like a cat to me, but whatever. The giant alligator thing that swallows them. Uh, I feel like... have Arlo, you haven't. Eric, have you ever read uh, Matt Wagner's Mage? No, I have not. Okay. Well, there's in in the first volume of of Mage, Mage the Hero Discovered, uh, there's a great dragon that they end up uh, meeting, and it looked a lot like that. So, probably a coincidence, but I would like to believe that they took some inspiration from Matt Wagner. Would not surprise me. (sighs) But we've discovered, Paul, nobody... Nobody has anything to do with Matt Wagner. That, that's right. I was going to say nobody, n- nobody reads Matt Wagner stuff. I was going to say it can't be not, true because we're the only ones reading it. So at least there's no overlap between people who read Matt Wagner stuff and want to listen to podcasts about it. Yeah, but so, we're we're not bitter though. We're not bitter at all. All right. So, uh, any other thoughts about this before we move on? Oh, uh, Tenzin's reaction when Korra comes back, but Janora doesn't. Oh yeah, that was pretty rough. That was, and it was not over the top at all. It was a very realistic level of horror. It really sold the moment. Um, okay, so let's move into the last chapter, 211, Night of a Thousand Stars. Which, I'll be honest, may have my favorite moment of the season so far. I, it might be, I mean... It might be It might be my favorite episode of the season yeah, so far. Yeah, I, I, that's where I am. Like I want, I, I want to put beginnings part one and two above it, but it's it's really close to the top. Um, I'm really glad to hear this. I've been waiting for this episode for a while. It's it's fabulous. Um, I feel like so we had discussed earlier that perhaps uh, the writing staff didn't know what they were doing with Bolin. 
this episode. So first they made him, uh, you know, a pro bending star. Then they turned him into a mover star, and it was just you know this this weird thing where he became like a, uh, uh, his ego became super inflated and he couldn't tell reality from fiction. Uh, and even at the beginning of this episode, w- w- first of all, we get the the Nuck Tuck poster at the premiere yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Of him like carrying the helpless damsel and distressed ginger, it's amazing. Um, but so uh, Bolin and Ginger are posing as a couple, uh, sort of in the style of uh, Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont. Um, but Bolin wow. doesn't nice. realize it. Bolin doesn't realize it's an act. Like he can't. He still cannot. Like it's not clicking for him that just because he he dates her in the in the movers that they're not dating in real life. Um, but then the scene where, uh, so okay, they're at the premiere, and first of all, Varric has so many amazing lines in this episode. One of my favorite is he's talking to President Ryko uh, and his wife at the premiere, and he's like, I even had this red carpet imported from the Fire Nation. They make the best red stuff over there. Fact. So that's a rock <laughs> fact. Uh, <laughs> so great. Um, so they're at the premiere, and as Bolin is watching this mover, he begins to realize the emptiness of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he like walks out. He has a song. short dark night of the soul. He, he, he does. He, he has a, he has a dark, like 15, 20 minutes of the soul. Yeah. Uh, so he, he walks out and, uh, Asami follows him and he just talks about how, you know, it's not the same. Team Avatar has fallen apart. No one's around. You know, it's. She, uh, she's off doing girl business stuff. It, it, exactly. Um, but then Bolin realizes that there are some uh, suspicious looking uh, uh, northern, northern tribe waterbenders uh, in the harbor below. And they're about to uh, attempt to kidnap President Raiko. So Bolin gets to become a real-life Nuktuk. Oh, my God. This, this scene is so good. It is such a great sequence. It's such an amazing scene. Like, all of the stuff with um, uh, what he's doing, paralleling what Nuktuk is doing on the screen, it might be a little too on the nose. It might be a little corny. No. I don't care. It is I was I was all in for all of it. It completely worked on me. I had, like, chills and tears in my eyes. It was beautiful. It's. I mean, it's not just uh, you know a, a brilliant use of uh, the sort of parallel storytelling with him mirroring what's going on on the screen. Uh, it also. I mean, it also allows us to see. Well, it's a very welcome return to seeing Bolin actually like bend again, like actually do action stuff, and it happens in the in the pro bending ring. So. You know, he gets to be the pro-bending star again. And the whole thing, because it's happening in front of the screening of this Nuktuk film, the whole thing is scored with the uh, the Nuktuk soundtrack, which I want, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> totally. I, I, yeah, I loved it. And that's a good call on him being the pro-bending star again, uh, because the premiere is being held in the arena. And when the, you know, he's fighting the waterbenders, uh, he uses the earth discs that are kept in the arena. And then uh, the announcer, whatever his name is, <laughs> I think it's starts, Shiro. Like, Shiro starts narrating the fight from the audience. Yeah, for uh, no reason. It was, it was so great. And <laughs> so, oh, God, him narrating the fight is so wonderful. Like, he just can't, he's just sitting there. And, like, his wife is stuck with him announcing <laughs> the fight as if it's a pro bending <laughs> match. I mean, like, he has, he's giving pro bending rules discussions like color comedy what's going on 
you, you mentioned his wife was there. Like, I, I wonder how often he does that at home. All the time. Probably, I, imagine, I imagine he talks like that all the time. Could Could you imagine, like, someone's making dinner. Like, she's making dinner, and he's, like, announcing it. Mm-hmm. Kids come he's, home. They're doing a homework, and he's announcing it. He's, like, gotten to, a, a like, a Groucho Marx level where he just can't turn the shtick off. <laughs> he he has become the shtick. <laughs> That's, he was. I, he didn't. He didn't have to do the shtick. Like they probably literally found him walking around on the street, announcing <laughs> things, and we're like, "This guy's pretty good. Let's just bring him up." Uh, uh, I want to. I want. I want the the uh, behind the music about Shiro's life. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, this, how did he come to be? This, this is so okay. I've been waiting for this episode for a really like for this stuff with Bolin. This scene specifically, because I remember watching this and liking Bolin, but Bolin not having his like stepping up moment and any good like fantasy action kind of thing like most characters get their like their moment where they go from being enjoyable side character to whatever i know i'm uh uh, Sokka had his as things went along and i kept waiting for bolin and there could not have been a better like suddenly becoming awesome moment than this especially when he lands on the pro bending (laughs) thing and rips his sleeves off tears off his sleeves Oh, so great! It, it's just it's a it's just an amazing sequence, and it's and it's like the the way they mirror the stuff in the movie is so well done. You don't get this kind of like stylistic um, expression in TV animation very often. A lot of times, I could, I could see a less well directed show cutting between yes. the movie and this, but no, they have the characters slightly mostly mirroring what's going on on the screen as things are going with the screen playing in the background the whole time. And the best is after he wins and Nuktuk is raising his arms in the background and he raises his arms in front of it, uh, like out, like in a celebration, like all of those are just like, it's such a well, it's it's so well composed. Like, it's not just really cool. That whole sequence is just amazingly directed and built. Yeah. The one, the one that stands out to me because sometimes it was more blatant than others. Like sometimes you saw the full screen with the action going on in front of it, but a lot of times it was really subtle. Like they weren't, they didn't go out of their way to show you what was happening on the screen. It just happened to be out of focus behind him or just off center or whatever. Um, when he, when he defeats the last waterbender, uh, and like the, the guy collapses on the screen in the background out of focus. So you're not even meant to be paying attention to it, uh, is the, the film version of Unalak also collapsing because he's just been beaten by Nuktuk. That is and, awesome. And then we get our reveal of who is attacking. Uh, I think it's time we leave or whatever he says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love how uh, how quickly that guy folded to, tell me what you're <laughs> doing here. It's Varric, it's Varric, all right? Don't, don't hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the Varric stuff, I, I just, I, I just want to mention... Again, the beauty of Varric's Nuktuk propaganda serial. Mm-hmm, yes. Like, that is just... I, I want to watch, like, the full mover. I, I, me, um, too. I, me too. I want to watch the whole thing. I mean, the, the two standout moments this time are, one, the ferret has laser eyes. Of co- because, of course. <laughs> and then after he dies, like, uh, Bolin reveals to Asami, yeah, he comes back at the end after the polarity of the world is reversed. Um, which is, I think, is a nice, uh, a nice little jab at the Superman. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the polar bear going, "Nook, no, yes, <laughs> Nook, no." <laughs> it's, it's, 
I love I love all of the mover effects are just joy making for me. The quick cut edits, the tiny model of Republic City, uh, that soundtrack, it's perfection. Yes. I, one thing I did think about, and this is, I, I'm thinking too much about this though. So Varric is the one who, um, you know, has has pioneered the the art of of movers. Um, it's interesting that so in a lot of ways, uh, the society of Avatar has sort of mirrored our like real world progression. Movers apparently like jumped like they were talkies immediately. Mm-hmm. Like speaking of speaking of uh, Don Lockwood and Lena Lamont, there was no there was no silent era. Well, the very first one he showed uh, was silent. Like when he gave the very first demonstration, I don't remember what it was. I can't remember, but it was the equivalent of like the train coming to the screen. Yeah. Right. 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 So. Well. So. So I, I don't know. Maybe there was a silent era, and if so, no, I think that was it. I think that one film okay. was the was the silent era. Well, if if there had been a silent era, they could have made a movie about how it could have been like uh, a telling of how Aang and Team Avatar, you know, brought the. Uh, brought the world together and created the United Republic and they could have called it the birth of a nation. Oh, oh God. Wow. <laughs> I live, I live for those reactions, guys. Oh man. They give me life. I don't, I don't, oh, man. <laughs> so anyway, Varric. <laughs> yes. Back oh. to Varric. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh god. So okay, the reason I love this Varric heel turn, I remember last time or the time before having the reaction of, "Oh no, I don't want him to be a villain." But I mean, of course he is. He's not. Well, you mentioned earlier, Paul. He's not really a villain, yeah. and he's not. He's just an opportunist. He plays every angle, and the reason I really like this heel turn is because, technically, like he, as he points out to our to our heroes at the end. He was kind of sort of doing good things, kind of sort of doing something close to like an approximation of the right thing by trying to draw attention to what, you know, to the Southern Water Tribe and trying to get the president to go after them. Um, he, he, I, he, I, I don't even think it was, you know, kind of doing. He was genuinely doing good things with uh, like, I mean, like he points out to them, he saved Asami's company. He uh I don't remember the other things that he mentioned, but like he does, he did stuff that, that, uh, you know, generally helped. And this, aside from the fact that he's making money at it, he is also genuinely, you know, invested in saving the Southern water You're tribe. Right. You're right. And by the way, the other stuff he mentioned was that he warned uh, Korra about Unalak. Right. He made Bill in a star and he was like, and I got Mako arrested. Oh, well, that was bad. Um, <laughs> But I, I love this because it shows that so we if we have Unalak, who is just straight up boring evil villainy for no reason, uh, we also have someone like Varric who is doing the right things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. He is like he says, uh, you know, if he had been successful in in capturing President Raiko, I wasn't going to hurt him. I just wanted to start a war. Well, a bigger war. <laughs> So he's he's profiting off of a perhaps noble war. This is a really complex, like gray area, 
for, for I mean, in this, in Avatar and Korra have always excelled at getting into these areas, especially for uh, mainstream you know, TV animation. And I just really love that they go to this place with Varric, who is such a, a hilarious, likable character. And you also sort of have to grapple with what what is his morality? Like, what like is 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 he justified in doing what he does or not? Yeah, he's he's trying to do. He's working towards a good end, but it's such a narcissist that he can't help but try to profit off of it. Right. But, you know, it's like his end game is not to profit. It's like he's not doing it to profit off of it. But since I'm trying to stop this war anyways, or trying to save my Southern Water time anyways, I might as well make as much money off of it as possible. And hey, I if mean, you can't make money during a war, you can't make money, as, <laughs> as he said in a previous episode. And, and no man who gives the world varicakes can be all bad. Vera cakes, oh man, that gate. So the mustache cops are eating Vera cakes, um, and they're discussing the proper way to eat them. And one of them delivers perhaps the most "that's what she said" line of the Avatar universe, which is, "I just try to shove the whole thing in my mouth at once." <laughs> uh, and of course, later they get canned uh, when when the when Lin announces that Mako is now a detective and he's like, but chief, there aren't any detective openings right now. Actually, there are two openings. You have to love this move by Lin Beifong to cover her own ass by pinning all of the blame on them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're pretty good scapegoats. Oh, they're the best possible scapegoats for the fact that she totally went along with everything that they said the entire fucking season (laughs) and, and never listened to Mako once. Yeah, this is this is how this is how how Lin Beifong ended up on top, right? Like she knows exactly when to sell someone else down the river, and she was like, "Well, I fucked that up, but I can make this okay by getting rid of those two schlubs and hiring the guy who was right." All right, moving on. She's a she's a politician. She could be a politician if she wanted to be. I bet she'd hate it for you saying that. But she is a immaculate politician in this yeah. because. She was pretty bad this whole season. She was terrible. Lynn Beifong's a good cop. What was going on with her this season? I don't know. The, did, she, did she just not think the things Mako was bringing to her were important? Was she, was she distracted by something? Is there a subplot that we don't know about that like there, there was some other shit going on? Well, she certainly has always seemed to be, to be having some sort of confrontation with President Raiko. <laughs> so, I mean, there probably was with this whole shift from, you know, a council-centric government to a democratically elected uh, president and presumably you know, cabinet. Ron Swanson would not approve bureaucracy getting in the way yeah. of you know saving the world as it does here. Exactly. He would approve of two cops that just stuff food into their faces, though. Well, he he would. Uh, but, only if the, only if it was eggs and bacon. I just I don't understand it, guys. She, she was, I know she it, was, it, it sucks. She was she was Dirty Harry last season and like she turned to like Frank Drebin this season. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about how perhaps we, we didn't know if the writers had a plan for Bolin, which, you know, clearly they did. It was all leading to this, but uh, I think Lynn is probably the one that was the most poorly served this season. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. They could have given her something that was distracting her pretty easily, but it's definitely not a, not a good moment. But now that the mustache cops from Hot Fuzz are out of the way... <laughs> Um, the Andes, they can, we can move on to hopefully a better, a better Lin Beifong after this. Um, there is one bad Bolin thing, one, which is the ginger stuff continues and, oh, and yeah. just takes a, and just takes a weirder turn with her suddenly wanting him. Like, I don't, yeah. I, 
I'm not. I'm. I remain unimpressed by the Bolin Ginger stuff. Yeah, and now now she's okay with them dating because the public saw him being a hero, uh, for real. And you know, Bolin. You know, Bolin at first is like he has a moment. Where I thought I thought it was going to turn into him like being like, no, this shouldn't happen. Yeah. Like I realize the error of my ways. But no, he just gives in, and I mean, I I get it. I I you know, giving into a redhead, I I understand completely. <laughs> um, but that's okay because we can ignore it because there's still some other awesome shit happening in this episode. Yeah. Well, well, just, first of all, we didn't we didn't it, even it is it is the killing joke of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we, there's we, some great stuff happening. You just got to ignore that one thing. We uh, we didn't even mention the battleship Julie. Oh, oh my god! Was... I wanted. I want. I was, okay, we can get that. I'm sorry. We can talk battleship Julie. I'm sorry. We can. We can do that. You, yes. That you you so named your battleship after your assistant. Yeah, they're both cold, cold, heartless war machines. <laughs> yeah, so, so I love that Julie is in prison with him. Yep. And I love that when we see him in prison, uh, he he's like, uh, Varric Industries built this prison, and I had this cellmate special. I had a feeling I'd end up here someday. And then he smiles with the gleam on his teeth. That is, it's beautiful. Varric, Varric is the best character uh, in all of Avatar, perhaps. <laughs> wow. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he is incredible. He is great. Yes, he, he's phenomenal. He was a, such, a, such an amazing addition and, and keeps this season afloat through the first half, basically. He, does, he, yeah. he really does. Yeah. Um, all right, so the more stuff happens before the credits roll. Oh, let's talk about Tonrock's awesome war party because yeah. they go like like snowboarding. I know, down. right? They're like they go war snowboard snow, uh, snowboarding. I mean, it is awesome. You almost said they went snowboarding. Snowboarding. I've been playing <laughs> too much Pokemon. That's what Unalak would do. <laughs> Snor- too, snowboarding, snowboarding is what yes. Unalak does. Um, yeah. So, uh, Arlo, what did you think about that fight? Um, it was a good fight. Um, I, you know, I'm still not invested in Unalak at all. Uh, but it was a good fight between him and Unalak. It, it um, sure helps having Mir back to animate the fight mm-hmm. because, oh, yeah. oh man, because Tonrock's going full Iceman. Oh, I know. I know. I loved it. All it the ice slides and everything. Amazing. Amazing. Even though, um, even though, uh, whatever, they're the assholes almost interrupted. Eska and Desna. Eska and Desna. But I got to give, in, in uh, Unalak's credit, he actually did call them off and, and won the fight man to man. So good for him. It keeps. Nothing worse than a bad guy who you don't even see as a threat, and at least it reestablished his physical threat bona fides, which is good. Um, but it was, good. it was a really great fight. I mean, the whole I like I really like the whole sequence. Honestly, like the whole the whole way it's intercut into the rest of the episode mm-hmm. is is pretty awesome. And and we get it just and we end up with just an awesome awesome fight. Even though I don't want Unlock to beat anyone in a fight because it means no. Unlock's around. But nope. I did like his finishing move though with uh, the you know, freezing Tonrock into that pillar, like lifting him up into the air and the water and then freezing it. That was a pretty awesome move. And yeah, he could have just he, combat finishing move. Yeah, he could have just left him in there to suffocate, uh, but uh, he he blows him up instead. Yeah, so sadly there goes um, Tonrock's rebellion. Which was losing anyways. Let's be honest. Yeah. That's why he. That was a that his attack on on Unlock was a hail mary pass because he apparently doesn't know how to lead a war party. No wonder he got kicked out as chief. Ouch. And uh, Ouch. and Unalak, after delivering the immortal combat finishing blow gets a very uh, 
nuck-tuck mover style line, <laughs> now that I've defeated you, your daughter is next. Yeah, he, he didn't say it becoming like that, but... becoming the the evil unlock of the nuck uh-huh. You're right. He just totally I mean, let's face it, he is trying to unleash the ultimate evil spirit on the well, world. So well, Bolin has that has that line where like Unlock's going to destroy the world. He really does have a doomsday device. <laughs> sadly, sadly, um, Vatu is not as good of a doomsday device as shooting a piece of ice into the Earth's core to freeze the entire world. <laughs> no, it is not quite that cool. They, they, they really, everyone should have let Varric write Unalak's real plot because I think Unalak <laughs> would be doing a lot better job with Varric as his writer than whatever's going on. He must he pulled the intern Unalak. <laughs> Uh, all right. But yes, it, but hey, this is a great episode. I'm so glad to. I'm excited to have talked about this episode because I'm I'm a huge fan, and we get two Studio Mir fights too. Like as if to announce that our long national nightmare is over. Studio Mir drops in two of the best fights of the series, just like like nothing. Like I, we're I, here. I'm so thrilled. Season. I am so thrilled that you pointed out that Mir is is back for the long run. So it's it's so good. Oh God, it's so good, and you can just tell. Like everything looks so good. And we're never going to have to think again what happened to our beautiful horror anime. Why isn't that character blinking when he talks? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm glad you pointed that out. Like that, I've been noticing that all season. Characters just haven't been blinking. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's really it's, – it's bugged me. Their mouth just moves and the rest of their body stands rock still. Uh-huh. But no more. Not in the age of Studio Mirror. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so 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 we're gonna make Arlo do the the uh, episode title predictions again, right? Yes, we are. We, have, we haven't been always consistent about that, so I just want to make sure. No, so so uh, next week is it? Next week is the the grand finale of this uh, of book two. So uh, we've got three chapters again. Arlo, let's hear your predictions. Oh for, God! For uh, I'll give them to you one at a time. Harmonic convergence. Um, the. Uh, Special guest appearance uh, by Dan Harmon covering songs by the punk band Convergence. <laughs> I can't wow. wait. That's going to be great. That wow. sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. <laughs> uh, Darkness Falls. Um, that is a the long-awaited sequel to the t- underrated 2000 slasher film Cherry Falls. <laughs> My God. You're knocking it out of the park tonight. All right. See what you can do with Light in the Dark. Um, light in the Dark... Oh man, that's so generic. I can't. I don't even have like. I'm sure it's going to be a great episode, but uh, light in the in the dark. I assume there's darkness, and then there's light in it. Wow, <laughs> there has to be one every time we do this. He always gets two. Two, thir- two out of three, though, man. <laughs> two out of three. I think that's your. That's how you roll. You usually get two that are pretty impressive, and then one that we're like, oh god, why even bother, Arlo? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's better than the time when he got none. I can't remember which yeah. one that was. Oh, it's beginnings. How do you do anything with beginnings? <laughs> I don't know, Arlo. We count, we count on you to do this. If, if we could do it, we would be the ones doing it. We count on you. Yeah. <sighs> I'm sorry to have failed you. All right. Well, you got two more Knock books no. to... <laughs> 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 Knock no. Uh, all right. Well, 
thank you everybody at home for joining us as always you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website theavatarreturns.com links will also be posted on our parent show's site gobbledygeekpodcast.com uh, you can also subscribe to the show on iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode and please while you're there do us a favor rate us or write us a review that really does help uh, spread the word get us out there uh, if you'd like to contact us please send your correspondence care of monkey yahtzee at tarpodcast at gmail.com and of course you can always find us on social media facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash tarpodcast and on twitter i am at haunt 1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and arlo is at unplugged crazy Next week, actually, it's not next week. We take a week off just to prolong the tension of the fast-approaching apocalypse, uh, but we're back the second week of August as Book 2 comes to a close with Chapters 212 through 214, Harmonic Convergence, Darkness Falls, and the very optimistic-sounding, or boring-sounding, Light in the Dark. Until then, remember, I once beat an Earthbender in a rock-throwing contest. I have the trophy to prove it. (laughs) 